Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys. So every week we always start out with some type of review or something like that. So rather than do the review, at the beginning. I'll do that in here in just a little bit. For now, let me introduce our guest this week. I'll do a brief introduction. So we've got a gentleman named Phil Hess. He's been married for 55 years. He's got three self-confident children, and he's done all kinds of amazing things from uh, running the, not the whole Sears organization, but running a good chunk of it and helping some retail establishments, uh, you know, reach kind of the, the peak and uh, he's not responsible for the downfall. He switched a long time ago, got his MBA at 60, and is now an adjunct professor at different universities. And he recently uh, released a book. So he's a, a published author now. Anyway, so, so accomplished. And he reached out to me recently, and we exchanged a few few messages. I said, I would just love to have you on the podcast. So welcome to the journey of a Christian dad podcast. Phil Hess, we're so happy you're here with us. Thank you, Dan. It's really exciting for me to be with you and um, our audience today. So thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here's where the kind of review of the week comes in. And instead of it being in typical fashion, I'm going to read a letter to you, everybody. So it says, Dear Dan, let me introduce myself. I am Phil Hess, a friend of Tracy Jones, and her father was my mentor for 40 years. I'm a 76-year-old Christian dad and husband with three self-confident grown children, and I've been married to my wonderful wife for 55 years. That being said, Christ is constantly giving me opportunities to help others. And when Tracy told me about your podcasts, I immediately opened and started listening. I was drawn to your message and it's honest and open style. I am still learning how to be a follower of Christ. And he teaches me every day. The one thing I have learned is that I'm constantly being presented with ways to help others. I'm still struggling to get it right, and God knows all my faults, but some days I am able to help others in ways I never thought possible. I am sure my children would roll their eyes if they knew I was writing you because I have made my mistakes as a parent. Attached is a quick list of my greatest accomplishments, which I did for the first time after hearing your last two podcasts. Guys, you may remember I've encouraged some people to write down your greatest accomplishments, and it was just awesome that Phil jumped into it right away. The greatest accomplishments will tell my story, and you've got some really cool ones. Hope to hear from you if you have any interest in talking to me. Blessings to you and your ministry, Phil Hess, MBA. So, Phil, welcome. That was like the coolest thing. And a couple takeaways. One I had was, I love how you heard about a message, thought you'll check it out, and just did so immediately, listened to multiple podcasts, and then you heard a challenge in there, and you said, that one's for me, and you did it immediately right away. And then you sent me a list of your greatest accomplishments. I'm like, holy cow, this guy is an action taker. I love people that not only do they study and learn and think about things, but I love that you actually did something immediately. And that's a lesson that is so 
encouraging. And if you implement right away, it's amazing what can happen. Thank you. That was just such a gift to bring all that to me in an email immediately. I'm like, I'm just overjoyed to hear people hearing something and doing something with it right away. So thank you, Phil. Oh, you're welcome. And, and actually, I love your challenges. I, I mean, that, I, I've listened to several of your challenges. And uh, for whatever reason, this one spoke to me right away. And I, I'm one that tr- tries to get people to go and think about how they're special. And because everyone experiences life differently and we're all miracles of God. And as I've worked with people and, and coached them and helped them along their career, I, I try to do that myself. And when you gave me the challenge, I haven't done that for a while. And, and, I, and you said to do it in seven minutes. I know some people would go and take a day or two and think about it and rehash it. And I did change the order after I was done, but I sat down immediately and just started writing them, writing them down. It made me feel good. It, it really made me feel good. And I shared it with my wife and she said, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with, with what you put down. And I, it's good for us to go and think about where we've been and what we've done and, and how we can go forward. And, and I, that was a great challenge for me. It was a great challenge. Cool. Well, that's awesome that that would give you that joy and happiness and kind of feeling of refreshment after you're finished. Cause that's what the, that's what the intention is. Yeah. 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 Well, you succeeded for me anyhow. Yes. Yes. On the, on the opposite, I've had some guys say, Hey, I only got seven or 13 or, and then it got tough. And about 13 is where I, where I started having challenges when I was writing it. Cause I'm like, like, how do I get some other big accomplishments as big as these first 13 that were easy to write down? And well, you have to live to your, in your seventies to go and get the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then at about the 13th, you're like, well, wait, I've only got seven left to write down. Right. Like right. I got to make these good. Right. Like, I've only got right. seven left. Yeah. And yeah. so in the, in the assignment of writing 20, I'm like, I write down 23. If you want, don't, don't let the limit limit you, you know, just right. the, the part, the point is, is to write. And some guys go, well, really? I only have 13 or I only have 10. And, then they immediately say, wow, wow, I've lived so many years and I've wasted some time and I haven't had a purpose and direction. I haven't been going after anything. Wow. I've just been awakened and it's time for me to start getting after. And almost all of them know the thing that they need to start getting after with greater intensity right now. So that's been a fun exercise to challenge guys with. So I'm glad you loved it too. Yeah. It's difficult to to always know what your purpose is. I've struggled with that my whole life, trying to figure out. And someone asked me if someone was going to go and write an article about you, what would the headlines be? And I thought for a while and I said to him, Phil Hess doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up, (laughs) because I'm still trying to figure out which is the best way for me to help. What I realized is there are a lot of ways for me to help. And I retired at 60 after 38 years with Sears and you alluded to my career with Sears and, and we had moved nine times and I had like 15 different jobs in, in those nine locations. And I was always trying to get things done uh, through people. And most of the time I never, in 15 years, I never followed any, in 15 jobs, I never followed anyone that had been promoted. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So, and I would drive to work saying, God, give me the ability to make a difference 
today. And he kept giving me opportunities to help people grow. Uh, what it forced me to do was to concentrate on people and to, to look at them and try to encourage them. And to, I actually, one of my successes was I came up with a, what's called a career aspiration form. And I, I asked the people, one, what job or career do you aspire to? Two, why do you feel you're qualified for that? Uh, what do you feel you have to learn to go and make that goal? And then last, what can I do to help you? And I took those and I took them to heart and I really studied them and I would help people. In fact, I even helped people coach them for interviewing for a job in another company. And they said, why are you doing that? And I said, if you get a job in that other company, are you going to leave? And they said, yes. And I said, well, why wouldn't I help you reach your goal? I'm not going to hold you back. But are you, are you going to be more satisfied working here until you get that goal? And they said, yes. So one went into real estate. One went into his own ice cream business. Other ones I promoted up through the organization. And that's where I started to get my satisfaction in, in helping other people. And I felt that that was my purpose in life because I was asking God to give me a way to make a difference. And he was throwing, giving me those opportunities 15 different times. And it was, it, it's really been kind of fun. And, and, and that's what I put, one of the things I put on my, my 20 was the fact that I've been able to go and, and help people make their careers uh, and, and improve their lives and their families. And, and I also looked at everyone, they were not an associate, they were a family. And if, I, if they had a bad day, their family had a bad day. And if they had a good day, their family had a good day. Because I know I come home at night and we all sit down around the, the kitchen table. Well, what happened today? That's the obvious question. And we can set the whole mood of the family based on how the day went. And my thought process is the better I can make other people's days, the better day I'm going to have and the more encouragement I'm going to have. And I think that's... God has given me so many opportunities to give back. And the one thing, I was going to write a book years ago. In fact, I had about three chapters into it. And it was called uh, Take the Job No One Wants. And it was to go and encourage people because most of the, many of the jobs that I had over 15 years, uh, over the 38 years, some people, one, one job, three people turned it down because it was going to be too much of a challenge. And I looked at it and I said, I can't think of one good reason why I wouldn't take the challenge on. Um, and, and I went and, and it ended up being, being a great opportunity for me. So what happens is, so the book was take the job no one wants because we sometimes want to play safe and we want to do it on our terms. We, mm -hmm. we want to have the inner control of what we think is best for us. It's when we let the external authority in our life, which is Christ and God, guide us, that it's going to go and allow us to do things that we thought, I never thought I would be able to do half of what <laughs> I have done. I, I'm right now, people are laughing at me. How many jobs do you have? Well, I'm a full-time accountant. I'm an adjunct professor at two different universities, and I sometimes three, depending on the semester. 
I'm a pulpit supply preacher, which is permanently assigned to a church for the last two years. I just published my first book called Ask Me Anything, which helps people do interviews. And I'm trying to go and open up my upward career counseling, which is uh, mentoring people to go and get jobs and careers uh, through the interview process to go and better themselves. And so they say, well, what do you do on Saturday? And I said, well, my wife is going and ask me, can I find another part-time job for Saturday? So, <laughs> so, I so think, this is what retirement looks like. Yeah, it, but, but I'm doing the things that I want to do, and I'm doing it because I want to do it. I work a lot. Very, I'm always busy, and I decided that I'm not going to go and be a weatherman. And uh, every time I would call my mother or my father, they would say, say, well, how are things going? Well, as good as can be expected. And you know, it's going to rain today. And I thought, you know, well, you know, that's, that was great. But uh, I I want to talk about more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. More with my life. And, and someone said to me, well, Phil, when are you going to come out and play? You know, when are you going to come out and play? And I said, well, I can play golf once in a while. Um, I can go fishing, but I can't do it all the time. You know, uh, I'm doing the things that I, I was say, do. Yeah. It sounds like you are playing with the jobs. Yeah. That you uh, yeah, like yeah. Work, uh, the work is the play. Creating writing. And if I, my wife said, if you could go back to your college, your high school um, reunion, and tell your, some of your teachers or your uh, classmates that you wrote a book. Um, here's the guy who was really challenged in, in high school because of a learning disability, which at, back in my days, no one diagnosed it. And, and so I overcame it um, as I went through life. Can you share your learning disability? Yeah, and, and what, what, what challenges what, that caused you earlier in life while you were you know, in the formal school system at a younger age? Yeah, what, what happened was I could not read, right? Dyslexic, maybe. And for me to read out loud as a senior in high school, it was punishment. And, and when we would be asked to go and read in class, I would try to figure out where my section was coming. I would try to practice it in my mind before I would read because it was, it was very difficult for me. Even when I was, so I, I but I could read and, mem- and rem- my memory was very, very good. So I could read and study it, but I would start to skim because I get bored reading uh, the, the books all the way through. So uh, what happened was I got into college and I had a, a tough time because I was a biology major and I changed careers uh, because of COVID valent chemistry and became a business economics major at that point. And I was surviving and and getting through, but I had a tough semester. And that's when I said, okay, I gotta get on a schedule. God help me, God give me what I need. And I got on a schedule, I ate three meals. I got up in the morning, I, I did my studies. I exercised every two days. I went to church on Sunday and that's where I met my wife. Uh, we met at the dining hall because we had assigned seats and we were at the same table one year uh, for one semester and she, we met each other and, and had a mutual interest. But Sundays I would get up when everyone was sleeping, get on the school bus so it would take us downtown to the uh, drop us off so we could go to our local church and I would go to church by myself. 
and sitting a couple pews over was my now wife of 55 years with her friends. She would go to church every Sunday too. So it grew and we would walk home together and uh, talk about things. And, and um, we ended up uh, being married uh, upon uh, being seniors. It was during Vietnam. So I volunteered for the army, ready to go in. And um, they said that I had a physical ailment that, that wouldn't allow me to do that. So then I started my career with Sears. So I really, at, at that point in my life, I fell back on, on, on Christ to go and guide me and get me through that. Then I started my career and we started moving around. And you stay, uh, I was you a, stay with a close personal relationship with Christ or during that transition into Sears and through the corporate career, did you yeah. drift away or, or did you no. have a, okay. No, no, no. I, I most, asked most, from the perspective what, of what just, happened. Yeah. The, the typical, the typical thing from the standpoint of looking at, how people move around, most people will sort of go away from the church in their 20s. And then uh, statistics have shown me through my reading that uh, people will come back to the church when they have a job, a house, and, a, and children. Yes. They'll come back to the church. What happened with us was, the reason that did not happen with us was because of my wife. She was, was very devout. And so even before we had children, we moved to our first location in, in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And on Sunday morning, we'd get up and try to find a church to, to be associated with. And, and as a married couple without any children, we always went to church. And that was consistent. And then every time we moved, we would also, the first thing we would do is try to find a church that we liked because we felt that those were going to be the friends that we could associate with, that we could uh, connect with. We, we, we needed the message on Sunday. We needed the uh, fellowship. We needed the, the caring and the giving. And for the first three years of marriage, we were in Salisbury, Maryland, and we're in a mission church uh, where there was only like eight or 10 of us. And then we moved from there to Dover, Delaware, and we went into a, a larger church in that area. And then we had our first child. We continued every time we moved, we always found the church first. That's the first thing we did is found the church and made our, our base there and moved our membership there. We would always transfer our membership. So 55 we never years went married. Away from the church. I never so, went away from the church. So 55 years married. And your yes. wife, so one of the blessings that your wife gave you was absolute my rigidity. Faith. Right, right. And not my faith, but my consistency. Yes. Consistency in my faith. It, and then what we did was, as soon as we had children, we realized the blessing that we had. And we wanted to bring them up in, in the church as well. So how do you do that when you're young? And you, you're, you're stressed out and you, you, you're, you're, this is where you're developing your career and you have a lot of pressure in many times. So we would go to church when the children were old enough. So we had the two sons by the time we were in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. 
And we were going to a church. Now we were going to a church that had 3,000 members. So there was so many different things. We had Sunday school for the kids and everything else. But to make sure that we kept grounded, I found a big book of children's Bible stories. And we would read, and it was, they were usually one page long. And they would sit in the high chair and we would read a one page story before dinner. <laughs> and to this day, my children in the 50s, 40s can still remember the Bible stories. <laughs> so, and, 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 and the thing of it is, was we started to share those thoughts with family friends and they started to go and do the same thing. So what we did was we, we continued to do that. And then the other thing that was really interesting is we always like to go to churches where the children went to church with us. Many times they'll have church and the kids go off to Sunday school. We went off to adult Sunday school when they went to little kids Sunday yes, school. And yes. then we got back together and went to church together. And my wife and I said, we're not going to sit in the back and be ready to walk out. They're going to sit up front. We were in the first row, first full row of the church, right in front of the preacher. And the kids were there. And they sat there and had to behave and listen. I sat on one end of the, the, the two or three. It ended up being three children and my wife on the other so that they would pay attention. And they had their little coloring books and everything else. But they were always so, right up front. So let's stop on that one for just a second. Uh, that one's a very common one that I hear from from men and families of, gosh, my kids in church and fighting and on and on and on. I even think to back to my own childhood and my parents had the, my goodness, three kids and we just can't keep them, you know, behaved during a whole church service. So have you got any tips? And you may even fast forward some years and think about the grandkids and how they behave in church. Cause I'm sure you've gone to church with the grandkids too, right. but any tips for, uh, I don't want to say getting through a church service, but maybe even thriving in a church service with kids. Well, we get them right up front. So they're right. We didn't hide in the back. I, I heard that. Know. I didn't want the guys to miss that. So I heard yeah, that. We, 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 we couldn't does. sneak out. We couldn't sneak out the back and go into the glass. Some churches had glass windows where you could take your child in there and you could still hear it through the thing. No, no, no. We didn't go to the balcony when some churches had balconies. And so we went right down front. We were right there. There was no one between us and the minister. There was no one between us and the choir. There was no one between anything going on. So it was a production for them. My, my friend, Jeremy, has got a large family. He's two sections over in the church and he sits right in the front row. And that was one of his, yeah. like, why, why do you sit in the front row? He's like for a, a number of different purposes, but if my kids are on display in the front row, they behave. And I was yeah. like, how's that work for you? He goes, well, they don't behave a hundred percent. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like, there's a lot of shenanigans happening. I'm like, well, I don't see it from where I'm sitting. He goes, you should sit behind us some weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, so the kids happens. that you think are perfect, well, they're not perfect either. No, no. But, no. but sitting so, in the front row, I do think that that 
at least for yeah, me, uh, helps me stay more engaged and paying attention. But I also think it helps the children be more engaged and paying attention because when you're, when you're front row at a concert, you're paying more attention and you're right. more locked in and it's a closer experience. So for those of you back row folks, I think there's extreme benefit to being in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a life so, lesson there too. If you, if you're in the front row, your kids will be in the front row. If your kids are in the front row, normally you're way more engaged. Think about the times where you're in class and you're in the back row. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Who were you looking at? I was looking at the person next to me, or I was looking down at my desk, drawing something. I wasn't yeah. engaged in the material, but buddy of mine got to be close with uh, Gary Keller, owner of Keller Williams, or starter inventor of Keller Williams. And he's like, every time I'm in his class, I get there 30 minutes early and I sit there all by myself. Nobody's in the room. I make for sure that I'm front row because there's no possible way I'm going to waste time not learning as much as I can from this guy. I'm not going to be late, blah, blah, blah. But the point is when you make it important and you do right. things such as sitting towards the front, there's some importance to that. And there's, you, you just take in so much more when you're, when you're locked in and engaged and you get such a, there's a reason why concert tickets and stuff cost five, six, 10 times more to be down low and in front. Yeah. They say, if you want the, 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 and I tell my grandkids this, I said, if you want to go and get the, the most out of your class, be the front row, right. The, from the standpoint of the professor, because. Because the teacher the, looks the, that the way more often. On the right hand side and he's going to go and look at you. And I said, and, and if you want to get through the class, you read the summary of the chapter. You know, you know, if you read the summary of the chapter and you have an idea of what we're going to talk about, it's unbelievable what, you know, what you'll get out of the class. So on Sundays, and, I get a hold of, you know, the material. Yeah. Read through it. And then when it's, you know, whatever happens on, on the service, I'm already, yeah. you know, locked in and like, oh, cool. The, the preacher took it in a different direction than I was thinking he was going to go, but how cool to contemplate this concept when I've already been ruminating over here with this other one, you know, yeah. anyway, it just helps me so much get more out of the sermons than you know, without right. having any clue what's coming. Yeah. 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 It's a, now I've done uh, over 460 messages and I've never repeated one. The liturgy repeats every three years. Yeah. Yep. And I have never, ever pulled out my first one. So if I ever write another book, I have <laughs> 460, <laughs> <different> <laughs> messages. But, 460 uh, chapters. Yeah, but and someone said to me, Oh, that must be a great job because after three years, you just pull out what you did the year before. Yeah. And I've caught some preachers or ministers doing that. And and I look at it from the standpoint, I'm a different person than I was three years ago when yeah. I did that. And and the, the world is different than it was. And and when I sit down to write my message, it is just unbelievable the things that will pop up and, and, and become visible to me or tomorrow, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing uh, well, how things uh, just reveal themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I, and I think, and my wife says, I, 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 she says, I'm amazed that you can come up with a new message every week. And, and I, I, I read the scriptures on Sunday. I think about it all week and I observe the world going around me based on that message. And then I go and sit down on Thursday or Friday and write it and then redo it again on Saturday. And then I get up really early on Sunday, pray about it and go over it again and we will revise it and then and, and then present it. 
And it, it is totally amazing as to how I think that Christ speaks to me uh, and God speaks to me in, in, in the word. I was and, talking to my friend uh, Travis because today. I, I let myself be open. And that's yes. why when I went to write the book, Take the Job No One Wants, so many times we want to do it our way and we, we got to we have to let go. And uh, I retired when I first retired. Uh, I told my boss I was retiring and I said, but I got to tell you this story. And so everyone's heard the, the, the story about the man who there was a flood coming through town and uh, the fire truck goes by and says, you know, get out. And great, said, no, great, no, no, great God story. Great. Yeah. Tell it. And tell it goes it. all the way up to the end. Well, I had that dream. I had that dream the night before I had decided to retire. Now, I have not thought about that dream for 15, 20 years. That, that story. I got up the morning, the next morning, and I said to my wife, I'm retiring. And she said, why? Because God said to me during the night, you have a retirement package. You have an incentive. You have your stock options. What more do you want? Retire and move on. I truly believe that the reason I heard that joke in my dreams, because <laughs> God was telling me, Phil, what more do you want? It's time to move on. God, I prayed to you. I prayed to you to save me, to save me. I sent yeah, yeah. I, God, you know. You know I sent the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, I gave you a boat. I gave you a fire truck. A Why'd boat, you let me drown? <laughs> yeah. So if, if no one has heard, if you haven't heard that story, it's it's really kind of funny. But yeah, I, it, it came to me during the night. And I so I to, told my boss that, my uh, regional vice president, I said, well, I'm going to retire because of this joke. And I tell him the joke about God said, you know, I sent you all these things. You know, what more do you want? And he said, you're the first one that's ever retired because of a joke. <laughs> so, absolutely. And, uh, but, you know, it's and, and the thing of it is, take the job no one wants. I, I was holding th this book was only done because a group, a Christian group that I'm with. We were talking about our purpose and what we had to do. And I had gone through the midlife crisis just like everyone else. And I was down and out and felt that woe is me. And I was a thumb sucker, as my mentor, Charlie Jones, would call me and saying, you know, I thought I was going to do more in my career. I was going to do this, that, and that, everything else. And, and I finally realized that God intended me to do more. And that's when I left go of the doorframe. I was holding on to the doorframe. In my mind, I was holding on to the doorframe, not willing to go in, not willing to let go and to go forward to do what I, what, what I was called to do. And it was at that time in my life that I, was, I left go of the doorframe. And, and, and this group that was with me eight months ago, the book is a, 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 a summary of how I would coach hundreds of people, my employees and, and friends and relatives and everything else to get jobs. And they all got jobs. And every time I went to go and help someone, I went over the same story again. And my one thing that I talked to them about is you are all special. 
You are all God's gift. You are, it, it, and, and there's a, an author by the name of Ogmandino. And if yes, you, oh my goodness, Ogmandino, he, he was my, my go-to author when, when Charlie, my mentor, Charlie Tremendous Jones was my mentor. The first book he gave me was Ogmandino's. I, I have read every one of Ogmandino's. I've given them away. I have first edition signed copies. And there is one God memorandum. If, if you have never read a book, you have to read Ogmandino's God's Memorandum. And it is a talk to a, any of us about how he knew us before we were born and how we're special. And you read that thing and you have to cry. Hmm. You have to cry because we're all that special. We're all that special. And that's the way I like to go and train, train people to do the interview. We all go into an interview saying, oh, they're going to ask me, tell me about yourself. And we, we're self-conscious. We don't go. And I would love for people to go in and say, you know, I am a miracle of God. Mm, mm, mm. And I've done some special things. And we, But in their mind, I want them to think that. And I make them do a, a SWOT analysis. Their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, just like you did the the twenty the yes. twenty uh, great things. I use the same process to get people, and I do it with my kids. What's your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and how are you going to overcome them? When we sit and we look at it, and we we say, "What? Well, that's not that big of a deal." You know, why are we paralyzed from trying it when when we can? And, and, and I, so I tell people, you're all special and you're experiencing life differently. And, and you, you, you will never be the same as anyone else. We, there's no one in the world like you. You are special. You are God's gift to the world. Do what you can. And that's, I encouraged my children, each individually, to be that way. And then I left them do that, to try things be successful at things and, and learn lessons from others, things. And, uh, but I was always there. And, you mentioned and, the mindset and thinking. So I, I got to observe a situation. There's a guy, he's a big time selling book author. And uh, one of those guys that thinks differently and helps other people think differently. Uh, I don't care for the title of his book, so I'm not going to, not going to okay. repeat it right now. Yeah. However, there was a guy in the audience and it was Q and a time. And I said, I got a question. He says, what do you got? He goes, I got a job interview tomorrow. I said, oh, cool. What, what job are you going for? He says, I want to be the janitor at the public school. He says, how are you being a janitor at public school? He goes, I would be the best janitor at the public school. He says, okay, cool. Well, sounds good. You know, what, what's the problem? He goes, well, I got, a, I got an interview tomorrow. And it's with the whole school board. He says, okay. He says, let me ask you some questions if you're open for it. These might be hard, but, you know, answer the best of your ability. He goes, I'm, I'm open. Like, this is a big opportunity tomorrow. I don't want to mess it up. He says, all right, what's your, uh, what's your view of yourself? If you could just simplify yourself and say, I am. And he's like, oh, <sighs> I'm just not very smart. <laughs> he says, okay. He says, what's your worldview? When you think of the world, what is the world like? And he says, oh, the world is hard. He says, okay. He says, what, what's your view of the school board? 
that you're going to go talk to. He says, oh my, those guys are smart. Those guys are really smart. He says, okay, so you're going to show up to this job interview and you're going in with, you're not very smart. You're not going to do well. They're super smart and they're going to figure you out and they're going to learn this about you. And the world's super hard and going to, you know, take you in, grind you up, spit you out and, you know, leave you on the side of the road. He's like, that's right. I'm really afraid of this interview tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. So then he says, what if when you went into this, you said what you said earlier? He said, what did I say? He said, you were beaming with pride. You said you would be the greatest janitor of all time. You had such a sense of confidence that you could accomplish it, that you would make them proud to see you doing your job. He's like, I'm confident that you can do that because I saw you say it because I have no idea if you can do the job or not, but the way you had that confidence said you could, what if you stepped into that board and declared that as your statement? If you guys give me the opportunity, this is my dream job. I will, you know, and passionately talk about what you said. What do you think their questions are going to be? Where are they at? He says, huh, really? He's like, what if they're asking questions based on what I just saw, as opposed to you bringing in your thoughts of yourself and your worldview, you know, why don't you let that go? That doesn't serve you. And the guy's like, thank you so much. I'm going to go get this job tomorrow. (laughs) I don't know if he did or didn't, but my guess is he probably got it because that confident, passionate guy I would have hired. Yeah. 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 You, when you tell that story, I, I, and my, my son would uh, give me the okay to tell this story. Awesome. I had a very uh, similar story. My son, my middle son, I have three children, two boys and a, and a girl and Susan. So John, John, Stephen and Susan. Stephen was in a uh, school and for whatever reason, he was mistested and they didn't think he had the ability to do his math and so forth. So he probably had a little of the tendencies that I had. And so, but he was very handy. He he loved tools and he loved to work and everything, fix things and take things apart and everything else. So they would allow him to go with the janitor and do things in the school as like a third grader. Now he came home and said that, and he says, I think I want to be a janitor. And I said to him, Stephen, that's great, but only under one condition, you're the best janitor you can be. Right now, he was acknowledged by the state of New Jersey as one of the top 40 under 40. Hmm. He's nationally ranked, world ranked in his uh, banking investment career. And he has done extremely well, uh, career-wise, family-wise, his faith-wise. And when they had the program and threw it up, they said, what quote would you like to go and have people remember you by? And he said, I once thought I was going to be a janitor, but someone told me if I'm going to be the best one, I could. And I've tried to apply that to everything else I've done. 
That's awesome. So we don't go, we don't know when we say those little things that how it's going to affect people in the future. I, for the last 16 years that I've been teaching, and for at least five years before that, so we're talking now 21 years, I have made either my employees or all, every one of my students, no matter what the class, the first assignment is, they show up on the first class and they don't have uh, the book. They want to test it out. How's Hess going to be? You know, what's the so? Yeah, I'm not investing 130 bucks. I, I'm not going to go and rent that book because they all rent them right now. So uh, the first assignment is they have to go and read the the, um, the book called "The Common Denominator of Success" by Albert Gray. And and it's uh, you can get it through Tremendous Life Books, which is Charlie Tremendous Jones's. Uh, thing for like a buck and a quarter. I have them laying all around. I carry them with me. And uh, I, I have the little Bibles uh, and, and the common denominator success. And I hand them out to people. And it's by Albert Gray, G-R-A-Y. And you can go into Google it and it comes up as a, uh, a speech that he gave an insurance convention in the 1940s. Now it's not inclusive language because it was all men at that time. Right, right. So Charlie has upgraded it to be an inclusive language. But Albert Gray's thing was the common denominator of success. And he goes through his research and the common denominator of success is successful people do what unsuccessful people don't wanna do. Yes. And they do it with a, and they do it with a purpose. I make every one of my students do it. And I say, do you do you understand it? What is it? Do you understand it? And how can it be applied to the class? Mm-hmm. So then we talk about it in the second class. And I say, okay, now we all know how you get the A. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned but, that uh, local guy, uh, Mike Matheny used to coach the Cardinals. He said, everybody always asks him, how do I get my kid to be a major leaguer? And he said, well, the simple answer is, what you just said, you know, having them be willing to do something that somebody else won't. And he goes, thing is most of the guys that are going for the major leagues are all similarly physical ability. They're all kind of willing to do quite a bit. He goes, the additional thing that I think actually gets you to the major leagues is being willing to not do the things that other guys do. Right. So the bad habits, the, I'll, I'll use alcohol as an easy example, uh, you know, overindulging and uh, staying out too late and things like that. So many a ball player has missed the team meeting and uh, you know, that was the end of the career for them type thing. You know, I got yeah. another guy just like you, similar ability. I'll just slot him in your spot and, you know, move on. So yeah. Yeah. Doing things that other people aren't willing to do right. and also doing things that other people are willing to do or Right. not doing things that other people are willing to do. So yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. Anthony Robbins, if you've ever read any of his books, he tells the story about how he was hired by the government to go and make sharpshooters. And Oh my gosh, this is an unbelievable story. Do you know the, do you know how he initially did that? Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. He's, go, go, go. He's, tell he, he only studied the, he, he went and interviewed and studied the ones who were the experts. And then when he went back, he trod, trained everyone only the expert way without any other than this is the only way you can do it. And then he 
he that's my understanding of the story i think he, i think if i if i got the story right he was incredibly young incredibly mm-hmm. young a teenager and his mentor the guy who was actually going to do the training didn't show up oh so it's the very first day that they're going to lock in with this new group of guys and show them how to be expert marksmen and tony's just the assistant right and the guy doesn't show so he, you've got yeah. maybe a 17 year old or whatever getting these you know trained military guys mm-hmm. he's like what could i do yeah we had a yeah. mission we had a paycheck we had a job to accomplish and so he stepped up and did it and the drill what the drill he did that particular day was he had him shoot at the target from some ridiculous like five feet away and they're like come on now we can hit that he goes we'll do it like i'm running the show so do it all right how about 10 feet away how about 15 feet away how about 25 feet away and they kept going back and back and back and they kept hitting the bullseye he's like all right perfect we're all expert marksmen from the (laughs) designated range that they wanted us to accomplish and we did it in one day yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> versus weeks and months right right yeah i said this guy's okay yeah. we're gonna bring him back <laughs> yeah yeah this is just an unbelievable yeah. story yeah and that's probably what started his whole career then of, yeah it's uh, that's that was one of the things that he by getting the confidence of nailing that one little assignment and having the courage to follow through instead of run away what he wanted to yeah. do <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take the job no one wants. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Oh so, my goodness. so it's getting back to our, our uh, Christian faith as we went and uh, went, uh, continued to move. Uh, we, the reason I became a public supply uh, pastor was we had a substitute, well, an interim, we would call them interim pastors in the United Church of Christ where uh, a pastor had left, gone on to another assignment, and then there was a person that is the transition for yeah, a year yeah. or two. He was a little older, and he said, I don't relate well to kids, so I, I really don't want to do the confirmation class. So I still remember I was driving, I was riding in the car. I got a phone call from one of the church council members, and they said, uh, we were thinking of who could go and run confirmation. Would you and your wife be willing to go and run confirmation? There was no hesitation. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And I was not a great confirmant when I w- went through it the first time. In <laughs> fact, uh, uh, my, my one buddy and I, we used to always uh, be c- called on or to straighten out and stop. Uh, so I, I still, but it's st- I still remember it. So I said, sure. So we did it, the confirmation for about two or three years. And then that minister moved on and there was another interim came in. And that morning of Confirmation Sunday, during the week, she had an infection and she had to have an infusion of her treatment at 10 o'clock every day for two weeks straight. Had to be right at that. It was very, very serious. So she said, I can't come to the service. So she says to me, you know the kids better than I do. Would you do the service? And I said, Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and I could have said, no, I can't. Could someone else and everything else. And, I, and so I did the service and the associate minister was there to go and actually do the uh, confirmation process with the, with the students. And afterwards, I said to her, I said, how did the service go? And she said, oh, you were great. 
And I said, would you mind if I could do that for other churches? And she said, tomorrow you're on the pulpit supply list. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, and I think back and in my younger years, I would hesitate and I would hold back and I was not. Guys, are you listening? Guys, are you listening? And, and, I, Guys, and I, was listening? To go, I was afraid <laughs> to go and do it because I didn't want to go and make a mistake in front of other people. And getting back to my reading, now I can read in front of a group with no problems. I, I mean, I write, I pro, I'm a prolific writer now, but in high school, I couldn't read out loud. When, and when in my 50s, I'd be in a Bible study class and my wife would always cover for me. And oh, can anyone read? She'd say, I, I, I'll do it. And if they were going around the room, I would still be going down trying to figure out what verses I was. And it was only because I was forced to read my scriptures and, and, and my, my messages in front of groups that now it's not a problem for me. I overcame my shortcoming. Earlier, if earlier you talked have, about risk yeah, and taking risks and, and that kind of thing. That, I, I'd still be fumbling around reading that. And now I have a library that I, I have hundreds of books that I want to read that I've read and I've gone through and and I'm a pro prolific reader and writer now and and that was not what I was when I was younger and even in, in, in college I went back to get my MBA and when I was 55 I started it took me five years and I and I received my MBA uh, 30 days after I retired from Sears and uh so what, what, what did I need an MBA for at 60? Mm -hmm. Well, I had a lot more to do in, in my life. I mean, and, and, and that gave me the credentials to go. And my college professor hired me as an accountant. The college and ended up saying, with your work background and your experience. And, and, I, and I ended up being number one in my class. Oh, wow. And the first time I graduated, I was in the bottom portion of my class. How redeemed. So, yeah. And, and, and so uh, they asked me to, to be a professor. And I'm saying, what if I hadn't done that? I mean, would I have been as happy as I am with myself now? Would I, I have been say able I can to see pure joy. You're just would, a joyous Would I have guy. been able to go and help help people? Maybe I would be able to help people to go and teach them how to go and put a roof on or stuff like that. Cause I still, my, my father was a, a, a finished carpenter. He made cabinets and stuff like that. My grandfather was a farmer who turned into a rough carpenter framing and everything else. I have all their tools. I like to do woodworking. Uh, is that I teach oh, my, 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 uh, my daughter at 42 has a, a tool belt. And uh, if anything breaks in her friends, she shows up and fixes it. Nice. And uh, they laugh about uh, her having her tool belt. But so I can impart that. But if I was always afraid to go and do what I think God has called me to do, then I, I think I would have really missed out a lot in my life. And I, and I make mistakes every day. I'm making mistakes now, even with my kids and they're grown. They're, 50s and one will turn 50 in uh, February and one's 53. I still upset them. 
I still make mistakes. Uh, and, so a couple, couple things right there. So Richard Branson, you know, yeah. Richard Brand, that Richard Branson, yeah. he's got a yeah. quote that stuck with me for a long time. And it's, if there's a great opportunity, say yes. Right. And then figure yeah. it out later. So that's, right. that's what I hear you saying is if it's, a, yeah. if it's an opportunity, if it's a direction you should go, but fears in your way, say yes anyway. And then figure it out later, you know, rally the troops around you, study, learn, but say yes, and then figure it out later. And then I also just heard you talk about making mistakes with your kids and engaging. So often dads say, or think they might not say it out loud, but they think I might mess that up. I don't quite know how to handle this one. I'm going to be over on the sidelines and uh, sit this one out. And if you do that too often, you know, somebody else is guiding and leading your family. So I encourage you to step into those situations and start the learning process. And what Phil did when he wrote the 20 greatest accomplishments is the doing part. And so some of the greatest learning you'll get is from the doing part. And next level learning is we're doing the teaching part. So when you're on the advising and teaching and coaching and mentoring and helping somebody else with a concept, you actually learn more than when you're initially studying it. It's an incredible lesson there. So guys, I encourage you to jump in and take action. And this is just another spot, another couple segments where we were talking about stepping into that, that fear or, you know, not sure if you can do it. Uh, You know, you get thrown the Sunday sermon and the confirmation, you know, to do like, all right, yeah, I'm jumping in. And not only did I, did I like it, but I want to do more of it. Had you said no to that opportunity, who knows if you'd have got that opportunity ever again. Yeah. There's yeah, one I, other I, thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to, wanted to talk about totally random. You mentioned you were to ask the kids a series of questions. And the last question was, how can I help you? And what I wanted to jump into there is when somebody in life says, how can I help you? I encourage a couple things. One is to answer them. Mm-hmm. What most people answer with in my experience is, I really appreciate the offer. You know, I'm, I'm good. Like things are good. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Well, what if that was an answer that you're not allowed to give? Yeah, I know my thought process. If you're going to ask, what can I do to help you? Then you have to be willing to do that. If you don't want to, if you don't want to help them, don't ask. Yes. On the flip side, if somebody asks you that question, yeah, Yeah. I, I would encourage you and you probably come up with yeah. an answer, a real answer, as yeah. opposed to a deflected answer of I'm um, they're too busy. They don't really want to help me, or I'm not well, going to think about the talents, abilities, skills, or even the challenges that I personally, I'm just going to pass on the conversation and just say, thanks, but no, thanks. Yeah. Well, I also learned in life that I can't do it myself. My wife has helped me raise the family and keep me grounded in my Christian belief, but I also needed a Christian mentor too and and i had someone that i we would spend a day (laughs) i would go up to charlie tremendous jones's house and i say charlie i i need a day i need a day come on up when do you want to come up and he and he was very busy he's a busy guy yeah and i would go up to his house and he and i would go uh i tell you funny story he had a he would bring in underprivileged uh, citizens in the area of Harrisburg, he would all, he'd have Bible study with the senators and representatives and 
uh, in the mornings. And so he would do anything he could to help. But he had one room, which was Christmas every day. And you would go in there and it was uh, all decorated as Christmas and everything else. And he would take the kids there first. And they would come in and see the trains and the whistles and the trees. And every day was Christmas. And then they would go upstairs. And then that's when then he had a player piano and they would start to sing hymns and, 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 and they had instruments and everything else. And he would go and try to reinforce their beliefs and in, in, in part his belief when they're not not preaching to him, you know, having yeah, fun, yeah. In f- fun with it. He, so I, I went with him. I, so I would go up there and he would give his undivided attention and he would just ask me questions. You know, uh, what are you doing? What's your friend? You know, what do you think about this? And I'd say, Charlie, I'm getting hungry. Where do you want to go? I'll take you out to eat. And he said, let's go to Wendy's. They got great chili. So <laughs> we, we go to the Carlisle Pike in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And, and we sit down there and we get our bowl of chili and we're sitting there. And I said, well, enjoy your chili. And he goes, just a minute. And with his booming voice, he gives grace over the chili. I, I, was, I could feel my, the blood pressure going up. And I, I thought I was getting all red. And then all of a sudden, I calmed down. And I, because the whole place was, you could hurt a pin drop. Wow. And he blessed that food in a booming loud voice and everyone respected him knew what he was doing heard the word of god and when he was done they went on their way but he touched 20 people i mean i'm not gonna ever go into wendy's and give a blessing like that but he stood up and did things that other people would never even put in their toolbox in their wheelhouse wouldn't even right. think of it and he encouraged other people to tell the story i mean i'm telling the story <laughs> to you today yes. because of what charlie did and th- we have so many stories to tell about our faith and how god has has given us so many blessings we all get you know, why why me why why this why that I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but I was exposed to a Koinea group, which is really what the power of prayer. And what happened was we were in this church with 5,000 people and the minister said, we're going to start Koinea group and uh, anyone that's interested, sign up. And uh, we're driving home and my wife, because she was on one side of children, I'm on the other side. We're in the car and she said, I think I want to do that. And I said, immediately upon him saying that, I felt like I had to do that. So we both signed up and we met Thursday nights for uh, the, the winter and, and, and uh, fall season. And we had a group of like 10 people. We had a, a minister and his, and his wife. We had a lawyer and his wife who had been a, a missionary. We had a single mother. We had uh, two, uh, cup, uh, a couple, the one an engineer, one a teacher, and they were very active in the church. We had friend of ours that we brought in for that time god presented us with the most unbelievable way to give back one of the the men went home during a nap after dinner 
fellas uh, mm, died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the one mother had a daughter with a child out of wedlock. Another one had my wife had an operation and everyone brought meals in uh, for a month. We had our, our nighttime meetings. And then the final straw was the one lady had lupus. And she was extremely uh, sick and we did not know what to do. So we, the men got together. We didn't know what to do. We were at our wit's end. We went down to be with her husband at the hospital and they were going to medevac her to the, um, to uh, the Baltimore, to a specialist hospital, but they said she'd never make it. So we went in and talked to him and came out in the parking lot and said, what can we do? And we prayed about it. And we said, let's go home, talk to our spouses. And one of us will pray for her 24 hours a day. Mm. So we broke the day up into 24 hour segments. The men, because they had, if they had a job, if you had a job during the day, you got up there in the middle of the night and you prayed from three to four or, 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 or whatever. And then you got some more sleep. We went to work. We started praying for her. Thursday night before uh, Good Friday. She made it through Good Friday. She made it through Saturday. She made it through Easter. We told the story at the church. They told their friends when they called out. By the next week, we had thousands of people praying for her. Mm. She still, she survived. She's alive and living a fruitful life. <laughs> That's and awesome. I am saying... God put me in that group Thursday night. How can I commit to Thursday night for, for two hours uh, every week? It's a babysitter. Why? And after that was over, I can tell that story, the power of prayer and dedication to, to what God puts us to and, and, and say, I saw a miracle. You know, I, I saw a miracle. And, that was uh, great. That was great. So, uh, I usually ask guys for kind of a parting thought and that, that was a really, really powerful one of literally the power of prayer and guys deciding to do something, take a stand. And a group of you guys came up with that idea and what a radical right. idea, what a radical idea that is 24 hours. Who wants to wake up at three o'clock in the morning right. you know, and blah, blah, blah. But man, I applaud you. That is so cool. And to hear that story is amazing. You know, this is coming. You know, this is coming at the end. We always finish off with a challenge and I always ask our guest, and I always have a backup or generally have a backup just in case our guest doesn't come up with something. So Phil, have you got a challenge to give to the guys so they can hear something and then do something this week before next week's episode comes out? Well, I, I think what, what we have to do is we have to keep our eyes open and we have to see what can we do to help someone else if it's nothing more than just to go and acknowledge them as we're out there? If we, if we, with COVID and everything that's going on, no one thanks you for anything. I want to, to encourage people to just look at that clerk in the eye and say, thank you for what you do. Uh, because a lot of people are having trouble and no one thanks us. And I think 
God is asking us to go and be able to go and be active participants in, in, in recognizing the value of people because everyone is special. And how are we going to recognize that each one of us is a special gift, is a miracle from God? I just encourage you to go. When the guy puts gas in, I say, thank you for showing up today. It's funny you mentioned that. So just this morning, I was a little unexpectedly hectic at my house. I'd sent a text to my friend, Travis. He's going through a few things and I just wanted to help him through that. I'm leaving the house and a service guy pulls up. I did, I had forgotten or didn't know, or, you know, what have you, but my wife was home and he was going to clean her fireplace for us. And I'm trying to leave. And he pulls up at the same time and the garage doors open and I'll, I'll jump in, jump out. And so I'm like, Hey, why why don't you come on in? Well, I'll take you through the garage door side. I say, Hey, by the way, what's your name? He says, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't introduce myself. Well, I didn't really have an opportunity to yet. And he says, my name is Brody. I said, Hey Brody, come on in. You know, honey, this is Brody, Brody. This is my wife, Corey. As he's doing his thing, the dogs are barking. It's just crazy. And finally everything settles down. And I listen to the situation, assess that everything seems fine. And the guy seemed like he's just a pro at what he does. And before I left, I said, Hey, I just want to thank you. Like you haven't even done anything yet. However, you are a pro at what you do. I can tell your skill level is unsurpassed in your industry. And I just want to thank you. I appreciate a guy like you putting all that effort and energy into being as good as you are. And I'm so thankful I can leave my home knowing that it's in great hands and my fireplace is going to be, you know, better than way better than I would have expected it because of you. So thank you. He looks at me and goes, well, I don't know about all that. I'm like, well, I do. Thanks a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) And that guy just stopped and he was glowing, you know, and I didn't have an ulterior motive. However, I know that guy's going to give 110% while I'm gone, but that wasn't the motive. The motive was just to start his day off right and acknowledge the fact that he's doing, granted, we're paying for the service, but at the same time, I didn't want to treat him like a transactional type person. I might not ever see the guy again, but the rest of the day and the rest of his customers are probably going to be blessed because he's going to be in a much better mood going forward. So that's a fantastic challenge. And if you haven't uh, set that up. Oh, and my wife sent me a text while we were, and she's like, Oh, the fireplace is great. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> but that wasn't the motive. The motive yeah. was purely to acknowledge the knowledge, him as a person. So getting his yeah. name. And then also in this case, thanking him for a service that he hadn't done, but I knew he was going to do it at a high level and, and skillful. So uh, l- absolutely love the challenge. So look for ways guys this week where everybody you engage with, you can treat them as a person. And if you can find a way to force yourself to come up with something to be grateful for. So in this case, I couldn't thank that guy for a job well done. He hadn't even started yet, but I recognized, you know, his skill level. And I found a way to compliment him and appreciate him before I left, before I left the door. And so that was really, really cool. I could have just said, yeah, there's the house and took off because I needed to, needed to get to my first appointment. But anyway, so awesome challenge. That is so great. And I love the fact that you're a doer. I love the fact that, and a teacher and sharer and giver, and just looking out to lift others up and help them. You know, you're, you truly do have a hand out to help them up. And that's just the coolest thing to find guys like you who are looking out for others. And I appreciate the time you spent with us today. And hopefully, guys, you took a lot of nuggets out of this one because 
love the direction that we took it and the way that, uh, that Phil was able to share his life experience with us. So thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share my stories and uh, may God bless everyone. Well, thank you so much. God bless you too, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.